0: Welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to the Polygamer podcast for Wednesday, January 12th, 2022. I'm your host, Ken Gagne. Once upon a time, I worked at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. My walk to work took me through Central Square in Cambridge, and every day I'd pass by the offices of Harmonix, the creators of Guitar Hero and Rock Band. It was so amazing to know such a renowned developer was right in my backyard. As you can imagine, for a company with a reputation for rhythm games, it's critical to have the best minds in the gaming industry, focusing on music and sound. Joining me today is one of those audio geniuses, Arthur Anasi, creative lead at Harmonix. Welcome, Arthur. Hey, Ken.
1: What an intro, as usual. Crushing it. (laughs) Loving it.
0: Uh, it's it's so good to be chatting with you. I feel like we've been running in circles for years without knowing it. I've had other guests from Harmonix on this show, like Alicia Kaye, and I've known people like Christine Kaiser and Allison Holt who have worked at Harmonix. Finally, I get the man himself.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm elusive like that, you know. Like I, I tend to stay behind the scenes, but uh, I remember listening to that interview with Alicia, um, and that was really great because we worked on dan central uh together yeah and i I love the way you you i was telling you before we started like i love the way you set up your show uh and it just seems like a really great way to interview people in the gaming industry so thank you thank you from greasy says to polygamer thank you
0: And Greasy says, of course, that's your podcast that you just launched recently. We'll be talking more about that on this podcast. But tell me a little bit first about Harmonix. You are the creative lead. You've had many roles at Harmonix throughout the 14 years you've been there. What does a typical day look like for you now at Harmonix? I
1: prefer to call myself, first off, a a creative at Harmonix. That's my most recent release, which was Dance Central uh, for Oculus, um, I was creative lead on that game, but I've done a bunch of things, right? So I've been a composer for many years, sound designer for many years, voice actor, mocap actor. But right now, as we'll talk about coming up, uh, is a very interesting time for Harmonix. So my role is kind of in a flux kind of state right now. Um, So... Yeah, but at Harmonix I've done so many roles. I started in QA. What up QA? My people's love QA. Wow. Yeah, and like worked my way up to creative lead um over the years. And had a lot of cool opportunities while working there and learned a lot about the industry and the ins and outs, you know, from like a very like detailed um point of view like the inner workings of a game itself to like the broader picture of like how all these companies work together and how deals are made. And I've experienced a lot of different aspects of the industry over the years. I mean, I've been doing it for like, I think, 15 years this year. So, you know, occasionally I have to look at myself and be like, damn, son, you're old. Like, you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, But it's been a blast.
0: Was Harmonix your first professional experience in the gaming industry? Uh, It
1: it was. It was. It was my first. I like i was working in studios like music studios production studios before uh hustling um and one day i just decided to walk in to harmonics like wanting to get a job so badly in games that there was no other opportunity i didn't want to move to the west coast where everybody else was moving um i like living in in massachusetts like i like the vibe out here so Harmonix was just a perfect fit of, okay, I studied music for so long. I love games. I went in there. Uh, I got an interview, and I played Guitar Hero for the first time ever, right? In in the interview. First time ever. And was I was, like, so good at it, naturally, because I play guitar. And, like, I remember saying to the people, like, this is going to be gigantic. Like, you don't even understand. I don't want to shout out the people who I was interviewing with just to blow them up or anything. But I remember telling them, like... This is ridiculous. Like this is going to change the world, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, like that's how I started. Wait, what was the question? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's just been an amazing career that you've had. As you said, you've done so many things, mocap actor, voice actor, level designer, sound designer. What are some of the contributions that people might recognize your work from? Like where can they say that's Arthur Stamp, he did that? Oh man. Um
1: well, I would have to shout out uh, Dance Central, which is like a reboot, so it's actually called like Dance Central, but it's really Dance Central VR, if you ask me. So it's the VR version of Dance Central. I was uh, creative lead on that project, and the backstory to Dance Central is an interesting one, right? Because I started working on Dance Central as the voice of the boombox in Dance Central, so the 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 boombox that like tells you you're doing great or keep it up or whatever, you know what I mean, or, or instructs you in in how the game works and walks you through certain dance routines. That was my voice uh, way back when I was still like a, a lowly quote unquote lowly sound designer coming up in the industry. And then I get to eventually lead the entire project and bring it to a platform that it's never been on before. Like dance central was, was traditionally a connect game, right? It was a camera looking at you and picking up your motions and, and making sure that those matched up with the motions of the skeleton of the of the character in the game but for vr it's a completely different experience there there is no camera except for the controllers there is no camera except for the headset so we had to kind of recreate what it meant to to dance well in vr so it was this great culmination of all of these paths that i had taken through games leading to this point of like oh i get to release the game that kind of Started me on my path in the first place. I get to release the newest version of it, the freshest version of it. So I want people to remember me for that because I think that's really that's a great sort of story to have. as like almost like a success story in games. Like you start, you know, as a sound designer on a game, and then the next thing you know, a few years later, you're the
0: creative lead on it. Any th- dreams can come true, people. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing, and you've contributed so much to the games that Harmonix has created. For example, you've supplied music for some of the tracks you actually got to work with usher as well on one of your other projects is that right
1: that's right yeah i had to teach usher how to talk like me
0: (laughs) wait usher was pretending to be you basically
1: yeah in in dance central three we replaced the voice of the the not the boombox but like the tutorial with usher because it was like a sweet marketing move you know ushers voices in the game so i had to go to atlanta and basically sit in a studio at usher and be like nah i i say it more like more like this dude <laughs> you know what i mean which is which was a hilarious experience but he's he's super dope to work with
0: wow yeah. that is that is surreal and have are there other celebrities other musicians that Harmonix has given you the opportunity to collaborate with directly
1: oh yeah um A while back, I got to go to Abbey Road to work on the famous uh, Beatles rock band. Um, I was I got to work with Giles Martin in the studio, like, you know, recreating these stems and all the crazy security that went around that. Um, So that was a really incredible opportunity that loads of people dream about. Uh, That was, I admit, a little bit wasted on me because I was like I wasn't like a lifelong Beatles fan, you know like a lot of people are. Mm-hmm. So so I got to go there and I'm, I'm sitting in Abbey Road, which is something like somebody somewhere dreams about their whole life. And I'm sitting there with Giles Martin and Giles Martin gets a call on the phone and he's like, oh, I got to just step out of the studio real quick because Paco Pena is here. I don't know if you know who Paco Pena is. Do you know who that is? I'm sorry, I don't. Paco Pena is a legendary flamenco guitarist. Like, I grew up in Trinidad. Spanish music is a big thing. Caribbean music is a big thing. I grew up playing Paco Pena's music, right? So to me, meeting Paco Pena at Abbey Road was almost more exciting <laughs> than like working on this Beatles, this classic Beatles music. It, it was so ironic. It was it was ridiculous. Uh, but I got to meet Paco Pena, and like I was like awestruck in a way that I wasn't when I would listen to like the original masters of. John Lennon saying some, like, hilarious joke. Uh, (laughs) Such a weird experience, you know? But that was a great opportunity that, you know, working at Harmonix, I got to do.
0: Yeah, that that is just amazing. All this synergy and all the opportunities that you've had because you walked in and asked for a job 15 years ago—that that is amazing. Yeah, it, it's crazy. One of the things I love about the games Harmonix makes is that you know they're they're wildly popular. They're extremely fun. They're great party games, but they're also in a way educational. People learn stuff about music. They learn maybe not necessarily how to play an actual guitar, but it inspires them to pursue that and to learn more about it yeah. how much of that educational or motivational aspect is intentionally going into the games are you thinking about that when you're making it or is it sort of incidental
1: yeah you said the right word motivation so sort of the creative prompt that you know the the heads of the studio might put down for something like a guitar hero rock band fuser that kind of thing is, is the motivation of, of playing music. Like, what do you want the player to feel? We always try to make the player feel that, the, the, the feeling you can't put into words when you step on stage and do a good show, or the feeling you can't put into words when you finally play the drum lick to like Good Times, Bad Times by Led Zeppelin. Like that feeling is something you can't really explain. It's not something that you can put into words or describe to people and have them feel the same way. So that is the motivation I think behind a lot of, of harmonics is music games in particular, because you know, music games mean a lot of different things now, right? But that's usually the motivation. And because of that motivation from the higher ups and from the creative prompt of the whole studio, as sound designers, as audio designers, as designers, we take that prompt and we say, okay, so that means we have to simplify what it means to make music and simplify it down to a feeling. Not an easy task. It takes a very long time. Uh, you have to make the player feel like they are good at playing <laughs> this plastic instrument or whatever or playing their controller. And you have to bring that joy of accomplishment. So it's a delicate balance of, of, all right, you're educating them with what is a quarter note? What is an eighth note rhythm? What is this sort of rhythmic pattern? That we want to build for you to play over this lick in this Rage Against the Machine song or whatever. But at the same time, we don't want to recreate it so perfectly that it's almost impossible to play. Because no one can play like the guy from Rage Against the Machine. He's completely unique. So we want to simplify it so that you get the feeling that you are that guy. But without the technical ability to be that guy. So it's kind of both. It's intentional and you know, uh, incidental, I think.
0: And do you see stories of people going on and picking up the actual guitar because they started with Guitar Hero or drums, for example?
1: <laughs> honestly, honestly, I've seen more comments that say, why don't you just get a guitar and learn to play real guitar? I've <sighs> seen more of those comments over the years. But yeah, no, I've, I've definitely got, we've gotten letters uh, of people who, you know, start up a band or, are inspired to do music because they play these games. Um, same thing with dance too. Uh, shout out to dance central, you know, harmonics kind of gets a lot of its rep from rock band and guitar hero and rock music in general. But dance central has done a lot to, to promote dance and to make people feel comfortable with moving their bodies to music in, in a, in a way large, like um, audience, you know, like Latin America and places you wouldn't necessarily think you think of rock band and you kind of think maybe it is an international game but it's also mainly north american focused soundtrack right because rock music but dance central has the ability to reach so many more people and teach them about dance and and i feel like dance is almost a more vulnerable um art form
0: to 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 do in your living room you know what i mean I totally get that. I am a big fan of contra dancing, which is not the kind of dance you're going to find in dance central, but nonetheless, I recently asked a friend, have you ever gone contra dancing? And she just flatly said, I don't dance. <laughs> and, you know, that wasn't a, a religious objection. It was that there is a lot of vulnerability with dancing and mm-hmm. people don't like to put themselves out there. And so if you give them a safe space and an encouraging virtual trainer then that opens up possibilities for them to explore and to enjoy something that society might otherwise cut them off from.
1: You're so right. And that was a beautiful thing about working on DC VR, which is Dance Central VR, is when you put the headset on and you are completely removed from the real world, people completely let go. I have like dozens, if not like tens, wait, dozens, if not tens, (laughs) I have dozens (laughs) of, uh, of videos that I took of people trying it and playtesting it and completely losing all their inhibitions, like transforming when they put the headset on because they're not afraid. And that's like, that's insane. That's an insane thing. You know, it's a very powerful thing about VR in general.
0: Yeah, a lot of these games that Harmonix is known for, they're, they're party games that bring people together. And VR is sometimes seen as isolating because you're in this virtual world by yourself. But that can also be very liberating as well, because you don't have to worry about what other people are thinking. Exactly. That's awesome. So Harmonix has created all these games, and you've worked with a lot of different companies to do it. Guitar Hero, the original, was published by Red Octane, which was pub- which was then acquired by Activision. Harmonix was then later acquired by MTV Networks, mm-hmm. NCSoft published Fuser, and just two months ago, Harmonix was most recently acquired by Epic Games, creator of Fortnite. So this is an exciting new world of potential collaboration for you and your teams at Harmonix. What is it about working with Epic that most excites you?
1: Uh, I mean, it's it, this is very fresh, so I'm still getting a to land, right? Because these acquisitions usually take a lot of time in case people don't know. Um but I am so excited to work with, like, these new minds, these new creative minds who have been sort of breaking down boundaries for a long time, you know, and making legendary games for a long time. I bought up Xbox because of Gears of War. Like, that game was was a landmark title for me. Mm-hmm. So to be able to work with, with the same people that made Robo Recall, you know, people who made Fortnite, that's a crazy opportunity to me. And it kind of broadens... uh. My, my world view sort of so to speak you know my my gamer view so I'm very excited to work with all these new people but also very exciting about um, working with epic is being so close to unreal engine development right so as this this engine evolves potentially we may have access to sort of pre-release stuff and and, and maybe be able to shape the, the way this engine, changes over the years so that to me is incredible because i personally think that that is probably the most if not the second most used engine in game development i mean unity is close up there depending on your budget or whatever but that's a very exciting thing to be working at that level
0: Yeah, and the Unreal Engine is so versatile. It can be used for so many different kinds of games. It's not just a a template that you put one kind of game in. So there's the potential for us to see future Harmonix games using Unreal. There's the potential for, I don't know, everything else is in Fortnite. Why not Harmonix? So who knows what kind of crossovers we might see. That's right. Um, And
1: the other thing I like is, hopefully, based on the stuff I've seen Tim Sweeney say, is I'll never have to make a game with loot boxes in it which is, I mean, that's pretty great.
0: Yeah. A lot of people know Epic from Fortnite and from the Epic Game Store, but they go back 30 years. I mean, I remember growing up playing Jazz Jackrabbit back in the <laughs> early 90s. You know? yeah. So this is, Tim Sweeney's been at the helm since the beginning. He, he is not a Johnny-come-lately to gaming. He knows his stuff.
1: He really does. And um, recently, since the acquisition, some buddies of mine have sent me old interviews Uh, and I've just been learning more about this guy and he is a, he's, he's almost like a, a, a rare stone in this industry. It's, it, it's weird. If you ever get a chance to dig more into him, your listeners get a chance to dig into this guy more. Uh, he's, he's an interesting cat.
0: Yeah. It seems like most people who survive this long in this industry, (laughs) they have something going on that keeps them in the game. That's true. So we could talk for ages about Epic and about harmonics, and certainly aspects of that will be throughout this conversation. But there's so much more to you, Arthur, than what you do just at your day job. You also, outside of harmonics, you're a producer and an MC. So it seems like music is what you live and breathe. You go to your day job at harmonics, you're doing music, and then you leave your day job and you're still doing music. So how do those two play off each other? What do you get from one that you don't get from the other?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this. Um So music has always been a release for me. It's a way for me to be completely uninhibited, Um which is rare nowadays. You don't get a lot of chances to do that with social media and cameras on you all the time. So music is a way for me to completely release and completely be in my little like rabbit hole creative, uh creating like anything I want. But games have always been a mental and technical challenge that I like, need, and that I chase. Like I like to be uh, challenged mentally, and games tend to do that because you're always solving problems, you're always collaborating with other people um, in a different way as collaborating on music. One flows; the other is uh, built. If you know what I mean. Um, so, like, when the stress of making games gets too high. Uh, I turn to music, which balances me out. So it's 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 great because like like the same muscles I'm using to create music as a producer as an, as, as an MC are not the same muscles that I use when I work um, on games. So it's a it's a great sort of um, equilibrium.
0: Was music also what you were doing for a living before Harmonix?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went to school for music. Uh, I've been I've been making like tracks since I was like seven years old. Like it's always been a part of my life. That's awesome. So, even if I didn't get into games, I'd, if I wasn't an accountant, I'd probably still be making beats and like rapid and stuff. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get you. I mean, we all need something that jazzes us and gets us up and out of bed in the morning. And the fact that you've managed to make an aspect of that, as you said, it's more created than flowed, but it's still within the music realm. The fact that you get to do that for by day and by night is. A rare opportunity and you know kudos to you for making that work
1: thanks i mean i, I think i got lucky uh, <laughs> you know um but it, it is it's incredible it's it makes waking up and going to work very easy i'll tell you that
0: and i'm sure for any individual their success story has an element of luck but let's not overlook the amount of persistence and creativity and ambition and talent that also goes into each individual success story and I'm, i think after 15 years at harmonics i mean that's a long time in the game industry, and the game industry tends to have a pretty high burnout rate. So, what is it that keeps you in the game? Oh well,
1: just that was very sweet. I appreciate that. That was very nice to boost my ego like that. That was. <laughs> uh, um, wait what did what did you ask me? <laughs>
0: You're too busy focusing on the compliment, huh? It was so nice. You know, it's very nice. <laughs> well, even if you have talent, ambition, persistence, etc., the games industry, I know people who they go into it because it's their dream and they make some games and they are grateful for the experience. But in the end of the day, they're like, you know what? I, I'm tired of working 80-hour weeks. I'm tired of not getting paid enough. Uh, I'm tired of all the egos in the game industry, something just makes them decide you know what i've done my time it's i want to pursue something more stable uh, less turbulent etc and then there's arthur who's been at harmonics for 15 years so how have you navigated the challenges of the game industry Mm. okay
1: yeah that's i talk about this a lot on greasy says like that that's one of the reasons i do greasy says to try and help out Younger or even like experienced older devs, just people who are in the, the game industry who are, you know, always at risk of burnout. Burnout is very real. Um, so I'd say, uh, side hustles is a big thing for me. Having things outside of work, outside of making games that fill me up, I have to be more than my career, right? That can mean a lot of things. That could be gardening. You know what I mean? It could be martial arts. It could be just living a, a balanced life, taking the time out of your day to rebalance and refocus your energy. Because when we make games, we tend to to focus in. We get lost in the ones and zeros. We get like totally consumed by the project. We sleep badly. We eat badly. We we you know we don't practice self care in the same way. Uh, and now we're seeing sort of the the result of that, even in like esports, we're seeing the result of that. You had a, a, a doctor on in one of your recent episodes about taking like self care for esports players, right?
0: Yeah, Dr. Lindsay Migliar spoke all about that, gamer doc.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big part of, of what keeps me kind of free of burnout is always making sure I go back to what am I doing outside? What am I what other interests do I have? Um am I how much How much worth am I putting on my own time, right? Because we start making games, especially if we're working on like smaller games where, you know, you might be the coder, the artist, the sound guy, everything. Just making sure that you find time for that balance and like managing your time. That's one thing that a lot of gamers, uh, not gamers, but game devs have seen, uh, you know, flounder at is they don't manage their time. They don't take their time. And they don't prioritize mental health, uh, especially when when dealing with all of the challenges of making a game. We need to take a lot more time for mental health, and you're starting to see uh, companies take that into account and and start giving more days off and start giving mental health days that aren't you know marked against your vacation or your PTO or whatever unlimited PTO that sort of thing because people are starting to learn that that. There's a lot of churn and burn in the gaming industry. People can't last working 60 hours a week for three for three years trying to wrap up cyberpunk or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just not sustainable. So I think, you know, more and more devs now will start doing these things because more and more people are talking about it. And that's what I aim to do is just talk about it more on Greasy says, get people like give them the tools, help people find the tools to help them keep that balance so they don't burn out, so that they can enjoy making games for a long, long time,
0: you know? As you said, a lot of that has to come from top down, from the corporate level, and more companies are becoming aware of that. Would you say that your 15 years at Harmonix have been partly made possible because they're a company that understands that balance, that that need for physical and mental health?
1: Oh, yeah. No, they support mental health. Um they've always been like that. They've always been flexible with ours, which I think all game studios just have to be, especially now. Yeah, they've always been flexible. And and it's harder, I understand, for bigger companies to be flexible, but I don't think it's impossible. But it also, you know, it's tempting to say it's all on the corporation, basically, or on the company or on the the studio. But it's also an individual thing. You know, if if we're all trying to out hustle each other. And we're not paying any attention to our own mental health and physical health, and we're not promoting that among the dev community. Then we're kind of to blame as well. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. When you were talking about side hustles, do you specifically use that phrase instead of the word hobby for a reason? Do you distinguish between those two?
1: Oh, um, I guess I guess you could call it a hobby. Yeah, I just call it a side hustle. Um, something that is, you know. Sometimes a hobby doesn't necessarily have an end goal. You just do it for the enjoyment. Right. But a hustle might be a project that you want to actually finish.
0: Yeah, I've, I've often thought of hustles as both project-based, as you just described it, and also those which might pay a little bit of money. So, for example, I have or had a YouTube channel. And I would get a monthly paycheck from Google, and it was never enough to live off. It wasn't going to you know, stop my day job. Yeah. But it taught me skills about video editing that I brought into my day job and which made me more marketable. Oh, uh, you know, I would say that my night job was teaching at Emerson College in Boston. And that is how I got my current job now because one of the guest speakers I recruited for my class worked at a company that was hiring and I applied and here I am now. So for me, it was, again, not about the financial growth You know, As you can imagine, teaching doesn't pay a lot of money, Mm -hmm. but it was about personal enjoyment and developing skills that were important to me, which I didn't necessarily find in my day job. So that is what I would call a side hustle. Maybe it's related to a hobby as well. A hobby for me is playing video games. (laughs) (laughs) That's true.
1: No, that's a really great point. You put it well. Um, That just reminds me, uh, like releasing music is now like a side hustle to... To my day job, but I was doing that for a long time. But it taught me so many of the skills uh, of how to publish a game, and how to like promote a game, and how to, you know, uh, produce like a schedule for a project. So, like you're saying, like you can learn so much from your from your side hustle, even if you're not making a lot of money off of it. You know. Mm.
0: What about going the other direction? Has harmonics made you a better musician? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. there's a high
1: level of talent that passes through harmonics, uh, especially as an audio person. Um, so I've learned a lot from people that have passed through uh, different genres of music that I never dabbled in. Like I learned a lot about rock music working at harmonics. Like I grew up traditionally listening to hip hop, dancehall, electronic music. I listened to, a, to quite a bit of rock music, but I wasn't like steeped in rock music and the culture. So. I learned a lot about just the greats, you know, all the greats in rock music and stuff like that. And also teaching people about the greats in hip hop music and dancehall music and Caribbean music and stuff like that. So it's been a great um, sort of transfer of knowledge between all the people at the studio. I've had great collaborations there, um, incredible opportunities to work with ridiculous talent and it's made me a better listener and producer too cuz of the feedback loops that we tend to employ and and how we work together as as musicians and and game designers um it just it makes me a better listener and half of being a,
0: a musician is being a good listener are you talking about listening to music or listening to your teammates and bandmates <laughs> how do you think <laughs> maybe a little bit of everything there you go that's right it's all connected <laughs> And when you do listen to music, how do you listen to it? Are are you a vinyl guy? Vinyl? Oh, man. I'm not that
1: serious. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I go easy. I go the easy route. I want things... I I like to listen to it like everyone else listens to it. You know what I mean? Like, they have a lot of people who listen on vinyl, but the majority of people are listening through earbuds uh, on their phones. I like to listen to to music in all ways. Like I listen to on my studio speakers, for sure, if it's a particularly great album. But a lot of my consumption is through, like, headphones, like Bose headphones or something. Like, I just got a pair of uh, sports buds or ear Bose Quiet Whisper Buds, whatever they're called. And they're great. Um, but I always like to listen to it on different types of headphones because when you're making music or you're making games or you're, you're making any medium, you have to consider, like, even the lowest version of, of the listening uh sort of um quality bar you know what i mean so i like to listen to all over the spectrum that's something i learned um working in studios and stuff listen to your stuff on the the five thousand speakers and listen to your stuff on the crappy car speakers in your camry
0: you know what i mean that's a really good point i hadn't thought of that I, I, i would expect an audiophile to be someone who prefers some really uh high fidelity audio but on the other hand when you're shipping an xbox games those xbox games aren't shipping on vinyl (laughs) <laughs> That's for
1: sure. <laughs> yeah, and they're not being listened through like
0: whalebone speakers. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you got to know your audience and experience it the same way they do. Otherwise, you're 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 pitching to the wrong audience. Mm. We talked about your side hustles, and one of them that you just started last year was your own podcast. Greasy says first, remind us where we can hear Greasy says, and second, what prompted you to launch this podcast? Oh
1: yeah. So Greasy Says is out on all podcast networks like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can find Polygamer, you're going to find Greasy Says. Uh, And you can also find it on my website, which is MQ Music, M-C-U-E-M-U-S-I-C dot com. Um, Yeah, so check it out. Season one just uh, wrapped up recently uh, and the response has been great. Uh, I'm just having so much fun doing it. Uh I, I mean I started it sort of as a side hustle, sort of a, a way to not get bored. Um because I had been, you know, working on this game, the last game I was working on for quite a while, and I just needed something else. You know, uh I don't a lot of game devs, and I've listened to like a couple of people on your show, say that they have this like need to just keep doing stuff, like they don't know how to stop they don't know how to slow down um so like my my call to the challenge which i like doing uh is was calling me again you know like i I wanted to get back out there and create something that wasn't just the game i was working on but i had also been thinking about because of the last couple years in the industry and stuff that has been happening in the industry about uh sort of the experience of black and brown game developers which is you know and the more i thought about it it's so different from like my white counterparts um that and there wasn't anything really out there that i could latch on to as a listener you know as a person who's taken in this content not saying there's not there's a lot of like black and brown uh game youtubers and streamers and stuff like that but when talking about game development I really wasn't finding a lot of it you know so that that kind of pushed me forward I wanted to talk about my experience because I felt like it would have been great if I could have heard some of the stuff I'm saying when I was coming up you know
0: yeah I, I teach a class about podcasting and I always start by showing them the statistics about who it is that podcasts and it's predominantly white voices that are being heard which is really not representative of the talent that's out there it's we need more diversity, not only in gaming, but in podcasting and in gaming podcasting. Indeed, indeed. So,
1: yeah, I saw this hole sitting there, and I had this idea. I've done a previous uh, podcast called "This is Good for Me," and it's on SoundCloud. If anybody wants to check it out, go check out MQ on SoundCloud. It's it's basically the first iteration of what Greasy says became. It was like the trial run uh, where I wanted to incorporate. I wanted to make a podcast that was more like a show. Not like a, a talkie podcast, but like a, a short show, like a concert, but with elements of podcast of a podcast in it. So it was an idea that was floating around in my head and, and iterated on and it just wouldn't go away. So I, I thought, all right, so there's a way for me to, to combine my like my love of the gaming industry and like how much I love games and the games I'm playing, but also what it means to make games. And on top of that, what it means to make games and experience games as a brown game developer. Uh, so it just seemed like a perfect fit. And now I get to add musical elements and like sound design and all the aspects that I love about creating media into this one package.
0: Yeah, I would say the production of Greasy Says is definitely representative of your talent and background because it's not just you reading out a monologue and then shipping it. You go back and you add these layers to it that you don't often get to enjoy on other podcasts.
1: That's true. I appreciate that you noticed that. Um, and another thing about Greasy Says that's sort of a selfish goal for me is I get to dabble in what I consider one of the purest art forms around, besides music, and that's comedy. So like, if I can make someone laugh, Listening to Greasy says, I have done my job. I'm happy. Like, that is a big part of it for me is just to try making people laugh. I, I'm a huge fan of comedy. I sometimes think I'm funny, but uh, <laughs> I just love, you know, trying this new avenue of entertainment.
0: Well, you know, I used to podcast with somebody who left the podcasting world because he wanted to try his hand at stand up comedy. Maybe you'll follow suit. Oh, my. who uh, Who are we talking about? <laughs> Nobody you've heard of, not in the gaming industry.
1: Okay, okay, okay. Well, good luck to them because I, I'm I'm still scared. I'm still scared to go out there.
0: <laughs> well, just like Dance Central VR, you are you know just one person in front of a microphone, and you get to unleash yourself and ex- and enjoy being who you are. It's true. It's true. <laughs>
1: it's a great way to do that.
0: So, who would you say is your target audience? For Greasy says, is it people who have traditionally not seen or heard themselves represented in podcasting, or is it for people like me who need to expand their horizons?
1: Um. Well, you know, to be when I was first making it, I wanted my audience to be other game devs, um, and younger game devs like that are in school that or like looking for work or about to look for work, um younger brown and black devs who are who might be struggling uh in the in the gaming industry trying to find their voice trying to find their comfort zone as well as and a lot of listeners have been um white folks who who know something is up and who are interested to learn and want to hear these sort of voices um and these perspectives uh they're included as well because that's how that's how this change happens, right? The the gaming industry is predominantly white. If if I can reach a lot of other white game devs and, and other white game executives and show them uh what their counterparts might be going through, that's a that's good for the gaming industry. So just getting more voices out there and and letting these people out there know, other game devs know that they're not alone and that there are other people thinking these thoughts. And and the response that I've been getting proves that yeah there are th- this is this is real there are voices out there similar to Greasy's voice, uh, and people want to and
0: need to hear this kind of stuff. So speaking of Greasy's voice, what distinguishes Greasy from MQ? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm still trying to figure that
1: out. Actually, um, I mean, I like I find. <laughs> Like defining myself is hilarious to me. Like trying to define myself is impossible. Uh, so, but I wrote this out. Like, I think MQ is a lake and Greasy is the ocean. One is serene, while the other one loves the chop. So, like, MQ is like a haiku and Greasy is like the samurai duel. Because wow. I've been playing, yeah, I've been playing a lot of uh, Ghost of Tsushima. So, that's been my brain. <laughs>
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Is Greasy, is is, is, this, is this podcast the first time you've used that identity? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So there, there are now three of you out there. Up until <laughs> last year, there were two, but now we got Arthur, Greasy, and MQ.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, there should be a van coming to pick me up pretty soon, guys. <laughs> I don't know how many more personalities I need before they come and get me.
0: Well, let's let me ask you how two of those are able to coexist. You know, by your day job at Harmonix, you're Arthur on your podcast, you're Greasy. You're not making any uh, secret about the fact that these are the same person. Do you need to self censor the topics or opinions on your podcast because Harmonix might be listening, or is this one of those opinions are my own kind of things?
1: Yeah. Um, opinions are my own, definitely. The topics I choose. You know, I, I, I'll i stay away from anything that's sort of um, dangerous to talk about, like deals or legal stuff or n- like names. I don't really drop a lot of names of, of where I work or, or things that I'm doing. Um, it's mostly opinions about how the gaming industry is run and how it's being shaped on a grander scale. Um are there times when the stuff I talk about might line up with experiences I've had at Harmonix? Absolutely. Because I've been working there for so long. Of course, that's part of my experience, but because of the studio they are, I don't think they would ever try to censor me, you know, cause I'm not crossing a certain line. Um, I'm just talking about the challenges that I've faced uh, and my perspective. I'm not out there trying to, to hurt people or, or bring down companies or, or anything like that, you know what I mean? Of um, course. So they've, at, you know, people at Harmonix have listened to to Greasy Says and love it um, and support me. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it's like a, a, a huge deal. Hopefully cool. I don't end up talking about something super sensitive and I get in trouble. We'll find out. <laughs> we'll, find out.
0: <laughs> well, I would never ask you to reveal secrets or especially to name names. But I was curious about... A comment in one of your recent episodes where you talked about how the video game industry can have some pretty large egos in it. And that's certainly not unique to the gaming industry, but I was wondering, is there something about the gaming industry or gaming that attracts or brings out egos? This is just my perspective, but I feel like there is a a very
1: strong feeling of ownership, particularly uh, with engineering and design. Um, because, you know, they build the bones, the, the building blocks of the whole thing. Um, and, you know, that can tend to bring out egos when you feel like you own something that is being crafted over two, three years, however long the project is. So I think there comes some, there is some ego that comes in there. Uh, and then on the other side is what you brought up earlier is there is a high burnout rate in games. So the people who stick around are the crustiest of crabs, right? They they like they have <laughs> endured like many releases, many uh, cycles. So you know they've sort of earned <laughs> the right to to have a bit of an ego because they've stuck around for so long. So I think that also sort of inflates egos. And this might change for person to person, but usually when you have uh, discussions. Uh, or debates about features or plans for the game Uh, a lot of the time in my experience the 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 most technical sort of explanation wins right so that there isn't uh sometimes there there's a lack of like thinking about what the player might want or the player's desires might be or what the player is going to experience and more of like the technical restraints or you know um shortcomings of, of an idea or like drilling down on the shortcomings of a of, of, of small aspect of that idea and not really looking at the broader picture. And that can sort of devolve into uh, a technical debate where whoever has the most technical jargon and could spit the best technical raps are, are going to win and are going to affect the creation of that feature. So all those things together, I think kind of can lead to like, big egos in a room especially the longer you've been
0: around well when you say that the people who stick around are the crusties of crabs <laughs> you're describing <laughs> yourself there i am i am i know i'm a crusty crab i get oh, it okay <laughs> uh i
1: i've i constantly at trying to check my own ego um and learning from younger developments help helps me do that and practicing humility often helps me do that um Because I don't want to be one of those people who... I've been in this industry 15 years, just do what I say. I don't want to be that guy.
0: Yep. And speaking of humility, another remark you made on a recent podcast, you talked about how somebody gave you some advice you hated, but you tried it and it worked, which was to start your sentences with, I think. As opposed to just saying, we need to do this, you say, I think we need to do this. Because then you come across as less assertive and more collaborative. Now, conversely, I've also heard women in the workforce be told not to say I think because they need to be more assertive. Mm -hmm. And so how do you balance being confident and being assertive with being collaborative? This is a tough or at least or at least coming across those ways. This is a tough one and and
1: I don't think there's like a universal answer because like you're saying, for for women it's complete the rules are completely different. It doesn't make any sense. All of a sudden, you can't be assertive. You can't be confident because now you have an attitude, or you're you're tough to work with. Um, It's a delicate, delicate balance. Like even the the balance of humility versus confidence and assertiveness. That's it's a really thin line that you have to walk. Um, And and personally, you know, being confident and assertive means a different thing for me than it does for like my white counterparts, right? Uh, just like you say, it's it's different for women versus men. So, in my experience, being assertive can be misidentified as as abrasive or cocky or having an attitude, um, and that's a line that people like me have to walk. Whereas your your confidence has to be tempered so that people hear your words with their ears and not their eyes. I want people to hear my words and not pay attention to to my skin. So that's a delicate balance of Am I being assertive or am I being abrasive? Am I am I confident or am I cocky? You know, how am I being perceived here? And and yes, you know, being brown in games has messed with my my confidence at times. You know, uh it's made me question my abilities, made me question uh designs that I've had, you know, um particularly when when you're facing things like microaggressions in the workplace, which is something that people deal with constantly day in and day out. So the, all of these things can affect your your confidence. Um and it's, it's me working very hard as I'm sure a lot of other developers do of constantly reminding myself and writing it down on actual paper that I deserve to be here and and I am a skilled developer. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't skilled. It's yeah, this question was is tough for me because it's it's something uh, that's constantly evolving for me.
0: When you talk about writing down the assertion that you are good enough to be in this industry and that you do belong here and that you are talented, are we talking about imposter syndrome?
1: Yeah. You know, a lot of people have been bringing up that phrase to me recently, imposter syndrome. Um, uh, I, I guess, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's a. It seems like a recent label to me. It seems like it popped out of nowhere recently. Uh and I understand what it means, I just don't know if I categorize what I'm going through as that.
0: Yeah, where I've seen imposter syndrome is when you are surrounded by extremely talented individuals, and perhaps for the first time in your life. I'll give you an example. I used to teach at a high school that was selective admission. You had to apply to get transferred in from a different school, Mm -hmm. and 100% of our students used to be in the top 10% of their class. And so, they were accustomed to being the cream of the crop, and all of a sudden, they're now just one of a hundred that are just like them. And suddenly, they realized, oh, I'm not as smart as I thought. Maybe I don't belong here. And that's what I would describe as imposter syndrome. That doesn't take into account any of the sort of biases or microaggressions that you were talking about, which may be something else entirely.
1: Yeah, that's, that's where it gets a little bit muddy for me, you know, because uh, my... Yeah, I mean, that is a true um, phenomenon, right? Like, yeah, you get into games, you're finally among your peers of all of all these talented people you want to be around, and you feel the pressure there. But you slap race on top of that, and it, it changes dramatically. It changes from imposter syndrome in the way you described, I think.
0: No, I would agree with that. You talked on Greasy Says about how it can be necessary to be a a chameleon to assimilate into these environments. Is there ever a time when you only have to do that to get your foot in the door? And once you're there, they accept you and you can drop the facade and be yourself? Or are you just committing to a career as a chameleon?
1: Mm. Uh, Well, you know, in in games, you're constantly meeting new people, right? Anytime you sign a new game, you're going to meet new people. So the mask goes back on. And you you play the game right that that goes for everybody I think but you know I'm thinking about what you 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 mentioned the chameleon thing and then I mentioned that you know I had to be a chameleon for a long time it's true like that is part of what shaped me as a developer was being a chameleon um, just because of the time I came up circumstances I came up um, so that's kind of part of my shell if you will but I think um, I think younger devs are not going to have to deal with that as often as as I did. It, you know, it, it, with every generation, it gets better. So I think the younger generation is the key, right? Um, they the younger generation of devs they hide less, you know, quote unquote, hide less. They don't have to mask up. They're more, they call out injustice more. They're more outspoken. They're less afraid and more confident. Uh, I think they will pave the way for this chameleon tactic to not even be necessary. But like, you know, even as long as I've been doing this, there are still times when I I have to check myself and be like, "Do I need to do I need to blend in here or can I be, you know, myself?" It still
0: happens. Well, I'm encouraged by your words about the younger generation, and I've definitely seen that at the indie level, where there's just such a diversity of storytellers and developers out there now. What we need to do is see those same kinds of changes and same kinds of representation in the AAA publishers. And when you see all the lawsuits around companies like Riot Games and Activision Blizzard, it feels like we still have a long way to go.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there was a long time ago where I had all, always had these feelings about there's something not right about some of these AAA developers. the culture is all wrong and no one said a word and it went completely under the radar for many years. So it's coming out. so this this shows me that change can happen and is happening. And the more devs that we see with with these new perspectives and the and the willingness to call out these things
0: in AAA that are wrong, the
1: more things will change for the better. I
0: think. That's true. The lawsuit isn't evidence that the problem exists. The lawsuit is evidence that the problem is being called out. Right. Right. That's an important distinction. So you started Greasy Says partly to cover a lot of these topics that you and I have been talking about. And you just mentioned a few minutes ago that you finished the first season of Greasy Says. Not all podcasts follow a season format. So how do you describe the first season of greasy says what was your goal for that and what can we look forward to in the second season
1: Mm. uh yeah the first season i was really trying to just establish a tone i was just trying to establish all of my segments um trying to get loose uh trying to engage with listeners and testing out how that sort of pipeline feels how does it go from social media into the podcast can i support like voice clips all these things so it was a big sort of learning experience, but but the the production and the core idea hasn't changed from the beginning. So I think that's strong, right? So I'm looking forward to, to season two because now I can sort of start adding more segments, branching out on the topics that I talk about, uh, start a uh, stockpile of like segment ideas and things I want to talk about, more engagement with the community because – as I've been going through, people are listening, responding to episodes, starting conversations, doing like making sort of inside jokes. So I'm loving all of that. So it's it's really just been a discovery for, for season one. And season two, I think, is just, you know, make room for more discovery, but um, keep the production value high. Keep the jokes coming. Keep it fresh. Keep it interesting to listen to. And don't bloat the project. You know, I don't want to make this thing two hours long, <laughs> like mm-hmm. keep it nice and, and neat and clean. Yeah. Um, And season two comes out, uh, just a heads up to everybody on February 2nd, 2022. So look out for the
0: first episode of season two, Greasy says. Awesome. Just a few weeks away. And I love what you said about the first season. It kind of reminds me of TV shows where the cast and crew are still getting to know each other. They're still building that synergy. And even with a podcast where it's only yourself, you're still trying to figure out who am I when I'm in front of a microphone, and now that you've figured that out, you can just settle into that role for the second season and really be comfortable in it.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, and I've, I've heard from some people that they, they're they interested in, like, what would it be like if I did live video for it? But we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. Like you said, you don't want to bloat this thing. Yeah. Because that's the quickest way for you to not enjoy it anymore. <laughs>
1: you got that right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now before i ask you one more time to remind our listeners where they can find your podcast there's one other thing i'm i want to find online which i was not able to because it seems link rot on the internet things go up and then they go down where can i download the harmonics album oxytocin
1: Uh, (laughs) yeah um actually it's not available online anymore damn
0: it yeah it's only for the people who downloaded that album when it was there and now it's gone forever Okay, I even tried the Internet Archive's Wayback Machine, and they didn't have a copy of it. So. Oh,
1: sweet. Well, that's good. That means it's rare now. It's rare. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dang, I missed my chance. Well, you know, that not everything is for everybody. I know a guy who actually he puts up new episodes on his podcast, and then he deletes them 24 hours later. Ooh. And so if you don't get the episode when it airs, you don't get to hear it at all. I kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it because I never get to hear them. <laughs> You really have to be
1: on the pulse to catch that podcast.
0: Yeah, you got to be updating your feed like hourly and just hope that he (laughs) pushes something live. I like this. I like this. Well, you can like it. Just don't do it. (laughs) (sighs) All right. So one more time, where can listeners find both your podcast and yourself on the socials?
1: Yeah. uh, Greasy says on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and on all the podcast networks m underscore c u e that's mq and that's me on twitter uh Bandcamp, spotify you can find my music on there um and yeah hit me up on any of the socials check out the podcast on mqmusic.com and uh yeah
0: see y'all see y'all in the greasy sphere awesome there will be links to all of those in the show notes at polygamer.net arthur harmonics creative and host of breezy says thank you so much for your time
1: canada it's been a blast i appreciate you thank you
0: This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net.